This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Welcome. I'm Pastor David Charles Sasser. I'm not going to go through the name thing again. If you were here last time I preached, we're not going to go through that. But we're entering week five of our, well, it's technically eight-week uh, sermon series about um, this word we call seven, right? That's the sermon title, or not my sermon title, but the, the series title is seven. And why, why did we pick this word seven? Why? Because seven is significant. Everyone say, seven is significant. Right, there's significance to this number. It's, it's the Lord's number as we find in Scripture, but there's some really practical things that we can look at, like there's seven days of the week, there's, there's seven continents, there's, did you guys know that on ladybugs, that there's typically seven spots on the back of a ladybug? I, I found this to not be always true, though, because I read this fact, put it in my notes, went outside, there's a ladybug on my truck, and I'm like, there's eight. So it's not always true. It's not always true. But there's seven colors of the rainbow. There's, um, did you know that mammals, right, we're a mammal, that mammals typically have seven bones in their neck? Did you know that giraffes only have seven bones in their neck? They're just huge. They're just really big bones. Um, I'm big bone, too. Uh, I'm not, I'm not fat, I'm big bone. Uh, but there's significance to this number, number seven. And in the book of John, John is one of Jesus' disciples. John goes through the life of Jesus from birth to death and resurrection and new life, right? So John writes this account of Jesus, and it's a firsthand account. And John comes and he, he recounts the seven times that Jesus says, I am, Okay, and it's I am the bread of life, I am the vine, I, I am all of these things, right? But, but John recounts these things, and he, Jesus says these things seven different times. And there's something significant about these two words, I am. And the significance comes from the Old Testament writing, because when God would speak about himself, he would say, I am, right? So the significance comes from God going, I am. And when Jesus uses the word I am, he uses the same exact words. It's this ego amy, right? Ego amy is, it means I am God, right? So Jesus says, ego amy, I'm God, and then he continues it with the things that we're talking about in the next few weeks. So there's significance and there's power in what Jesus said. And the, the thesis statement for our uh, sermon series is this. Your view of who Jesus is can be wrong, but when you get it right, it will change your life. When, when you get it right, when we learn about Jesus in a way that impacts our lives, that we understand Jesus in a new way, that it starts transforming who we are, that that's when Jesus starts really, really working in your life and transforming who you are and into a better version of you. Have you ever been offered food from somebody and you don't know what it is, and they're just like, try this, right? Try, try this. And you're like, what's in it, right? That's my first question every single, what's in it? And they're like, don't worry about it. That, you guys, that is a huge red flag. If they say, don't worry about it, there is something in there you will probably not approve of, okay? So don't eat strange food from strange people, <laughs> It's not a good idea. I, I don't like this. I, I will not put food in my mouth that I don't know what, what's inside of it, right? I, it's just, I, I'm not that adventurous, I guess. <laughs> Maybe I'm just wise. I don't know. I've been called picky before, but I think I'm just particular. <laughs> I just don't like the mystery food. So it, I think when we look at Scripture, we kind of need to apply this same idea that, that you don't just want to eat Scripture without knowing what's inside of it, right? We don't want to look at Scripture and just read the, the words, read the black and white, read the red and white words, without really diving in and going, what's inside of this, right? Who is Jesus, and what are the ingredients that make up Jesus? And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're looking at what ingredients 
make up Jesus. So if you've missed any of the previous weeks, go back. You can find it on Facebook, on YouTube, on Vimeo. You can find it uh, on most of the podcast platforms, on the Church Center. Well, not Church Center. You can find it on Relevant Life Church website as well. So you can find all the sermons there. I encourage you to go back through that and listen to those. But as we stepped into week one, Pastor Trenton came, and he brought this amazing message of why, why we're doing this, right? And we, and we intro every sermon a little bit with why we're doing this and why this is important and why, why is knowing Jesus the thing that's going to transform our lives? So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Then he came back the next week with I am the bread of life, right? There's sustaining and sustenance to our soul there with Jesus. And then I preached on I am the vine, where if you separate yourself from the word, you, you implant yourself inside of Jesus, you abide in him, that you will be, begin to produce this really good fruit. Trenton came back the next week. He preached a sermon on I am the good shepherd, right? And Jesus is this good shepherd that leads his people to good things, and, and God is always there for us. And then Pastor Larry came last week and talked about I am the resurrection and life, and he talked about how Jesus is the resurrection, and that through Jesus, we have already, if you are in relationship with Jesus, you have already received this resurrection. And so today, I'm talking about when Jesus says, I am the door, okay? I am the door. We're going to get into this more. Don't worry. There's more to this door thing, all right? But the sermon title that I picked for today is, You Make a Better Door Than a Window, all right? So let's, let's pray, and then we're going to get into this, all right? I'll explain it, but let's pray first because we want God to do his work today. So God, thank you again for another just amazing time that we can gather together and learn more about who you are, God, and who your son is. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would be in this place. God would be flowing in this place. God would be moving in individual hearts, God, that we would see you in a new and different way. God, that we would be, begin to experience you in a new and significant way that would change our lives. God, that we would find a new and upgraded life in you. God, and I pray for our lead pastors, Pastor Kevin and Rhonda, as they're still on vacation. God, we, we pray that you would usher in peace. God, that you would usher in fun and relaxation. God, that they would come back not worried and not stressed about what they have to do. God, but, that, but they would find this relaxation where, where they are and what they're doing today. God, and we just pray blessings over them as well. In Jesus' name, everyone says... Amen. I didn't welcome our online audience today, so welcome everyone. You're here with us too, all right? So you make a better door than a window, all right? Has anyone ever heard this phrase before, right? A lot of people. Has anyone ever said this phrase before? There's like the same people. I've both heard it and I've both said it. So this is really true to my life that I used to make a better door than a window. Me and my brother would just annoy the heck out of my grandpa, right? My grandpa's like sitting there, he's trying to enjoy his show. We would be like playing in the living room, obviously between my grandfather and the TV. And all the time, you guys, he'd be like, you make a better door than a window, you know? And, and you knew, he was, he was not a guy that was like super talkative and he wasn't really interactive with us, especially as kids. But when he spoke, you paid attention, right? When, when quiet people speak, you tend to pay attention. So when he would say this, we're like, major red flag, right? We're, we're about to get into trouble, you know? And so we would calm down, try to get out of the way. It didn't always work. It worked for like five minutes and we're back at it again. But so you, you make a better door than a window. And I think, I think when Jesus says, I am the door, I, I think very much he makes a better door than a window. Why? Because a window allows us to see across something, right? You're, you're in a space and you're looking through a window and you can see what's going on outside. You can, you can see the people playing in the front yard. You can see the ice cream truck driving by. You can see all these activities going on, but you can't participate in them. You, you can see it, but you have no way to get there. So, I mean, you could open the window, break the screen out, and jump out, but that's not a purpose of a window, right? 
So Jesus acting as this door, he's something that gives us access to something better, to something new, so that we can step out and we can go play in the front yard, so that we can go get some amazing ice cream, right? (laughs) Damien over here, that's literally his favorite food. But Jesus gives us what it is. He gives us what is on the other side of the door. He gives us this experience. He gives us this better life that is only found through him. So I'm going to ask you kind of a stupid question. What is a door? Don't answer, because you might. Don't answer a stupid question, okay? That's just a rule. If you don't know what a door is, look around, okay? But what does a door do? right? So I I wrote down some things here. Uh, What does a door do? It provides security. It's It's a barrier from one space to another. A door can be used to keep things in. It can be used to keep things out. We use them to protect what's ours. A door can be monitored. We even have ushers in the back that are kind of monitoring the doors, making sure crazies don't come in. And I don't know why you guys are in here. Um, They let me in, so that's fine. So the right door can add curb appeal to your house. And on the other side of that, the wrong door can detract from it. It keeps cold air in in the, in the summer and it keeps cold air out in the, in the winter. Uh, movies depict doors in, in a lot of different ways, right? People coming in and out and they kind of cut scenes that way and stuff, but they, they use doors, especially like in kind of intense, scary parts of the movie where someone is hiding behind a door and the bad guy's trying to get in, right? So doors can kind of keep the bad people out. Uh, doors can actually be, they actually have a really big history to them. There are a lot of doors that have uh, held off armies and enemies in the past. But one of the, one of the ways that uh, the doors, as for us as Christians, a, a door kind of acted as something that, that really changed our Christian environment and kind of it's one of the reasons why we're here today is that Martin Luther actually took his 95 thesis and, and nailed them to the door of the All Saints Church. And, and that was a catalyst for this Protestant movement. So doors have been used and utilized and they, they mean something to us. I couldn't imagine life without a door. Uh, there are some extreme doors Right? And I've got pictures of, of a couple of these extreme doors. The first one is the NASA Vehicle Assembly Building at the Kennedy Space Center. This is a huge door, you guys. If you can see, there's, there's like a big rocket ship, okay? And that rocket ship goes in and out of that door, and that door is measured at 139 meters tall. And everyone's like, ooh, meters. I have no idea what you're talking about. So, yeah. <laughs> Meters is close to a yard. You're still like totally lost. Anyways, 456 feet tall. 456 feet tall. It takes 45 minutes for these doors to open, right? So you can hit the button, go have a lunch, breakfast, whatever, come back, door's still up. Anyways, so to put this into perspective, the Statue of Liberty is 93 meters tall. This door is 139 meters tall. You're talking a 40-meter difference up around 120, 130 foot taller than the Statue of Liberty is this door. Significance. There's, uh, the second one is the Cheyenne Mountain Complex. This is a military installation. It's underground, and they, they work on stuff in there. I don't even know. Um, it's kind of, well, I mean, it's kind of secret, right? So, I mean... <laughs> There's a reason why it's buried underground, and, and, and there's these two extreme 25-ton doors. 25-ton doors. Um, I could probably open those myself. Um, I got a lot of torque. I got a, um, these doors are built to withstand, like, major blasts and major, like, uh, like nuclear blasts, right? So they're, they're designed to withstand a 30-megaton blast. And everyone's like, again, I don't know what you're talking about. 30 megaton doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know what you're talking about. This 30 megaton, if, if you look at the, what was called the Fat Man, it's the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki, right? This nuclear bomb that was dropped, this bomb would have to explode in front of this door 1,429 times to get through this door. 
this nuclear bomb would have to explode over 1,400 times to destroy this door. So doors have significance. We couldn't do life without doors. Um, have you ever had a door removed from your bedroom, like when you were a kid? Everyone's like, I ain't raising my hand. <laughs> I know what that means. Yeah, it means, right, that, that you couldn't be trusted, that your privileges have been revoked, that, that there's something, your, your privacy is being removed because on the other side of that door, you can't be trusted, right? But Jesus is a, in, in a sense, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more. We're going we're to learn a little bit more about the context of, of why Jesus was saying, I am a door. But Jesus was becoming this door because the old door was no good. Jesus was like, no, the, the way you accessed God before is not working. It, it's a broken system. People are not getting to God anymore through this old door. So Jesus steps in. He says, I am the door. So let's look at some background to this, right? We always want to look at the context, and we really want to dive in deep to this so we can understand why Jesus would say this, who he's saying it to, and, and how we can apply that to our lives. So let's look at some background. We're, we're starting in chapter 10. That's where our, our verses come today is chapter 10, verse 1 through 10. But let's, let's look at chapter 8 first. Okay, we're not going to read anything from chapter eight, but I'm going to tell you that Jesus was working his ministry and Jesus was very much um, a, a figure that was starting to change things. And, and the religious leaders at the time were very much against change. Why? Because it, it threatened their livelihood. These religious leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees, and they, they were, they had corrupted, they were the old door that Jesus is trying to replace, right? But they didn't want this to happen. Obviously, if you're in this position of power and you've got, you know, this cloud and you've got, I mean, people looked up to them, you guys, and they don't want to lose that. So Jesus is coming in and going, no, this is, I'm the new way, right? There's a new way to do this. And they're like, no, no, this isn't happening we're not changing things. And, and they hated Jesus. They hated him. They hated his message. They didn't like his followers. They, they actually started plotting, as we know, because Christ was crucified by these people, that they started plotting to kill Jesus. And the, in the end of chapter 8, we actually see Jesus telling them, I am. Ego Amy, I am. And they're like, Mm, huge red flag, you just called yourself God, and they started picking up stones, and they were, gonna, they were going to stone him. They were going to throw rocks until Jesus was dead in that moment. But Jesus was able to evade them. He was like Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible, going through the crowd. He evaded them, got out of the way, and, and so we enter into chapter 9, and Jesus... Um, Goes, goes back to what he does most, right? He, he starts ministering to people and he starts changing people's lives. And, and just a normal day in Jesus's life. I wish this was normal for all of us, but Jesus is going through the streets and he sees this blind man. He sees this blind man lay, laying over there and he's, he's begging and they see this blind man. The, the uh, apostles are like, Jesus, did, did this guy sin or did, did his family sin, right? And Jesus is like, Wrong answers, right? It's neither one of those. Sometimes this just happens. He's been blind from, from birth. Um, so Jesus encounters this man, and, and Jesus says, I, I'm going to give you sight. And, and he spits, and there's dirt, and he rubs it on his face. And he's like, you need to go and, and wash this off. And when you do that, you will, you will receive your sight. Okay? So I... I and I want you to understand this. Jesus actually removes himself from the miracle, right? Jesus doesn't make this about himself. He, he says, go away over there and, and cleanse your eyes and, and you'll see, right? So the, the guy didn't even know who Jesus was. Get this. It's, it's a blind man. So all he can do is hear the voice of Jesus. And he leaves Jesus to go have this miracle done on his eyes. And when he turns around, he doesn't know 
who healed him. He doesn't know who this was. So the blind man's just like, oh my goodness, I can see. And he's going through the town and everyone recognizes this guy, right? He's like a staple of what's going on. This guy's always there. He's always begging, right? Because you can't find employment as a blind person back in this day. And so he's, he's always there. He's always begging. People know him. And they're like, wait, you're the blind guy, right? And he's like, yeah. I mean, technically my name's Tom, but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm the blind guy. So we'll call him Tom. No, we're not calling him Tom. The the blind man, or the man formerly known as the blind man, was going through the streets, and the the Pharisees, these religious rulers, were like, wait a second. Wait, you got healed today? You you got healed today. Well, well, the reason why they were saying that is because it was was on uh, the Sabbath, which is today. I mean, he didn't get healed today. This is a long time ago. But the Sabbath that we, we say Sunday is our Sabbath, right? They're like, no, no, you, you, you can't get healed on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a day where no one works. And even healing somebody was considered working. It was considered something that you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. So they started questioning this man. They're like, who healed you? And he's like, honestly, I don't know. Like, I was literally blind right? And so they're like, but who did it? And everything. And, and he's like, I, I don't know, but this, this person must have been of God. He must have been of God because only God provides these types of miracles, right? And they're like, no, like God would never do this, especially on the Sabbath. And so they're, they're in this heated argument. Anyways, this man just kind of stands his ground. He's like, no, this is, this is definitely from God. And so they actually kick him out of the synagogue. They kick him out of the synagogue, and they're like, we're, we're done with you. And, and in, a, in a sense, when they were kicking him out of the synagogue, they were kind of saying, we don't even want you part of our people anymore, right? They were, they were like excommunicating him. So this guy that's been blind all his life has encountered these religious leaders who were the door to heaven, who were the door and the access to God. Now, now, He's been healed by Jesus, been healed by this man of God, but now they're saying, no, you're you're out of here. So I want to read uh, John chapter 9, verses 34 through 41, because this really sets up our text, right, so we can understand it a lot lot better. So um, if you want to turn there, it's chapter 9, verse 34. It's going to be on the screen. So some of the Jewish leaders were enraged and said, just who do you think you are to lecture us? You were born a blind, filthy sinner. So they threw the man out on the street. When Jesus learned they had thrown him out, he went to find him, right? Like a lost sheep, okay? And said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? The man whose eyes were healed answered, who is he, master? Tell me so that I can place my faith in him. Re- remember the man didn't know Jesus. Jesus had removed himself from this, from this actual miracle. And, and Jesus replied, you're looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. The man threw himself at his feet and worshiped Jesus and said, Lord, I believe in you. And Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I've come to make them see. And some of the Pharisees were standing nearby and overheard these words. They interrupted Jesus and said, you mean to tell us that we are blind? And Jesus told them, if you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. But now that you claim to see, your sins remain with you. All right, so Jesus has just had this other interaction with with the Pharisees. He's right, they're back at it again. Jesus and the Pharisees. So this is, this is where we transition, and this is where we, we start reading in chapter 10, okay? And we're going to read verse 1 through 10, but the, the majority of what we're actually going to be studying is verse 7 through 10, okay? And, and I'll tell you why here in a second. So chapter 1, chapter 10, verse 1, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, 
Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd to the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So this is why I'm using verse 7 through 10, because even Jesus had to re-explain himself, okay? So you take what we learned here in verse 1 through 6, and then Jesus re-explains it in verse 7 through 10. And he says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate, or the door, for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, or the door, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there, there are three different ways that I want to, um, I, want, I want to teach you a little bit about shepherding and kind of what it looks like. Uh, Pastor Trenton talked about it before, um, if you remember his sermon, if you heard it. But uh, I'm going to very specifically talk about the, the pins of the sheep, right? Not like the pins, like you're going to poke them, but where they were kept. Okay, so there's really three different types of pins that we, we find that can, can be in this certain culture and context. So the first one was a communal pen. It was, it was centrally located. Sometimes it, it was a pen that was an entire town was the pen, right? There's a wall around the town. And, and these shepherds, they couldn't leave their sheep out at night because they're vulnerable, right? So they would have to take their sheep in every night and they would pin their, their sheep up every single night. And, and when they would do this, it, it's more than one shepherd bringing more than one flock. It's a communal pen. So they would do this, and the shepherds would come in the morning, and they would call to them. Pastor Trenton talked about that. And they would know their name. They would call them by name. They would know the shepherd's voice, and the shepherd would call them out and go out to the pasture again. And the second one I want to talk about here, and I actually got these pictures messed up, messed up so go to the third picture on that. So the second one, um, depending on the season, uh, the, the shepherds would actually go out farther to find good feed and, and grazing for their sheep. So they would go up into the mountains and, and stuff like that. And they didn't have access to this communal pen anymore, right? They were too far away. The distance was too far. They can't bring their sheep home every night for this community pen that they would find safety in. And so they would use pretty much whatever they could find or anything that, that they could kind of cobble together. And, and they would find a, a rock outcropping. They would find a cave. They, anything that would provide shelter for the sheep that they themselves could protect. And, and it really was them that were protecting the sheep because this is a super interesting fact and, and it really points to what Jesus was saying in, in these passages is that when they would do this, Right? It's not like they pack doors or gates on their back out in, onto the mountains and they're like, boom, rock outcropping, I'll set this door up here and we're good. Right? There's no door and they can't roll these huge boulders side to side to protect the sheep during the night and they had to get some sleep themselves. So what they would do is they would actually lay themselves in the entrance of the cave or the rock outcropping. And they became the door themselves. These shepherds would physically become the door. And whatever thief or robber, or as we learn later on the text, Jesus talks about the wolves that would come, they would have to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep. And the, the third and last way that shepherds would pin up their sheep, um, they, they would do it around their own homes. And a lot of times they would build these tall walls, and sometimes they would have thorns on top of them to, you know, even more uh, 
security and everything, people trying to climb the walls. They were about six feet tall typically. And a lot of times they would connect them to their houses and really even off the front of their house. So where you'd have to enter the pen, you would have to open the gate or the door to be able to go in and find the door to the house. So there was very much this access from the house that would, I mean, you're right in the sheep right then. Do they just wear sandals? Because that could be messy in and out of the house. But this is, these are the three different kind of pins that we're looking about, looking at when Jesus says, I'm the door, right? He's the door of one of these pins or all of these pins. Okay, so let's, let's step into the three things I want to teach you guys about who Jesus is in this text, okay? Who Jesus is. The first one is Jesus is our protector, okay? He's our protector. In verse seven through nine, it says, very, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate or the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Have you guys ever been in need of protection? Have you ever been in need of protection? Sometimes we need protection, and we don't even know that we need this protection. You guys, I was like 20 years old, and I was engaged to be married at 20, right? It's pretty young and kind of today's standard, but I was 20 years old, engaged to be married, but it wasn't to my current wife, okay? It wasn't to Tiffany. It was to another girl I'd been dating for like three and a half years, and I'm like, this is the next step. We're getting married, and you guys, my parents, like, were going to Africa on a, on a mission field, and before they left, they were like, it's, it's never too late. It's never too late to change your mind. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Like, the venue's picked. Like, I, I've paid for these, the bridesmaids' dresses. Like, like, the steps are taking place. It, it's definitely too late, you know, but God had different plans because God started revealing things to me. Through, through the Holy Spirit, there were, there were things that were opened up to me where these red flags would start to come, and, and I would start to see things in this person where I'm like, I, I don't think we're compatible. I don't think this is going to be a good idea. And so being the really strong, mature, 20-year-old that I was, I didn't cut off this relationship. I pretty much gave her a choice, so she had to break the relationship, Right? <laughs> Because, you know, I'm such a man. And I was like, okay, you got to choose this life over here, which it seems like you want this life really bad, or do you want this life with me? That, and I'm like, I don't know, does this life seem bad? Because maybe I need to change my plans. But anyways, she chose the other life. She, she's like, I'll let you know. And came back like a couple days later, and she's like, box number one. That's what I choose. And, and you guys, I was, I was destroyed. Like, I, I was hurting. I was broken. And I thought I was in love, but I wasn't, right? I, I now know what true love is. But God protected me through this. And, and it wasn't something that I was even asking for. It wasn't something that I even knew that I needed. But when Jesus says he's the door and he provides, he'll lay himself down in front of us. So that anything or anyone that's coming at us will have to cross the threshold of Jesus. The, the thieves and the robbers and the wolves will not be able to attack without going through Jesus. This is what he's talking about here. And, and this protection overlaps kind of every aspect of our lives. Right? This protection overlaps every aspect of our lives because when, when we find life in Jesus and we're starting to step into new things and, and we're finding this excitement in Jesus and, and maybe you're stepping in, like, you're like, man, I want to start you know, attending small groups. I, I want to start you know, maybe coming up on worship and I, maybe I want to start serving in children's ministry. Can I tell you that it doesn't get easier when you start doing those things. When you start stepping out in Jesus you start shining your light a little brighter, that's gonna be noticed, right? Because the world's so dark that when our light starts to shine, the devil takes notice. And he's gonna come at you. And don't let that stop you from stepping out, though. Please don't let that stop you from stepping out because Jesus promises to protect you. 
He will protect you. He will be there for you. He literally becomes the wall in our life, right? You can, you can build up walls and you can have walls that you've you know, guarded yourself with, but there's always gotta be a way out. And if you allow Jesus to be that way, can I tell you that, that when trouble comes, and you step behind the door of Jesus, and Jesus closes that door, he stands in the way so nothing can come at you, Jesus becomes part of that wall. He becomes the thing that separates you from the things that are trying to harm you and attack you. The second thing I want you to learn about Jesus today is that Jesus is our provision. He, he is our provider, okay? In verse nine, it actually says that, that they will come in and out and find pasture, right? This isn't, this isn't a one-way door. This isn't where Jesus is just like, come in and I'll keep you safe, and that's it. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He, he says that there's access to both safety and there's access to provision because outside of the pen is where the sheep are fed. Outside of the pen are where the sheep are, are fed with, this, with grain and grass and they find this good pasture. You guys, Jesus has provided for me in so many different ways. Like I, I can't even imagine my life without Jesus. When I was younger, I was like, I was hugely like a Debbie Downer, right? Every, my glass was like half full, and I was more like a David Downer. So, but I, I, never, I never thought, you guys, I never thought I would be married. I never thought I would have such an amazing wife. I never thought that I would have a great job. And you guys, I have two great jobs right now. I never thought that I would have such an amazing group of friends and family. And, and not, not just family, but like the friends that you call family, that, that you get, it's the family you get to choose, right? It, that's, that, I'm talking about you guys, just to make that clear. God saw me through all of that. He, he saw me through all of my doubt. He saw me through all of my, my, my self degrading like professions of, of what my life is going to be. Like he saw me through all of that because he is a good provider. Jesus allows us this freedom to go in and out, but there's a danger with that, right? When, when we find access to something, we, we can very much go outside of the protection and provision that Jesus offers because when we don't allow the good shepherd to lead us, when we take charge, we can go out and, and we can look for good pasture ourselves, right, as the amazing fluffy sheep that we are. We're looking for that pasture, but we're really not that smart because we're sheep, and we don't always find good pasture. So G Jesus is the one that leads us to that good pasture. But can I tell you that, that sheep sometimes finding good pasture can be dangerous as well because sheep don't know their own limits because this good pasture can lead to this thing called, it, it, they call it sheep bloat. When sheep find good pasture, they can't stop eating. It's literally every meal for me. <laughs> this is sheep bloat. Yeah. <laughs> You guys, when sheep go out and they find something really, really good and they've removed themselves from this care of, of the shepherd, they begin to destroy themselves. We can do that. When, when we find ourselves outside of Jesus, when we, when we find ourselves outside of his provision, we can, we can get this sheep bloat that we're consuming everything in this world and we're consuming social media and we're consuming this news that is so negative to our lives and, and we're getting filled with it and we're getting filled with it and it begins to bloat us and we can't take anything else in. Sheep die from this. Death comes. Jesus is our provider. You guys, every Thanksgiving, I do this every Thanksgiving, I starve myself. 
Does anyone else do that? Like, you wake up, and you're just like, no breakfast? I'll have like three sips of coffee so I don't get a headache, but that's it. When three or four o'clock runs around, I, you guys, my stomach has eaten so much of itself. I'm not used to not eating, as you can tell, but I starve myself because I know when I get to this meal, it's going to be so much better, and I'm going to be able to eat so much of it. There's times in our lives where, where Jesus, where, where God will actually withhold his provision from us. He, he will starve us of his provision. And maybe we feel like that right now. Maybe, maybe in your life you feel like, you're like, God, where is this provision? Where, where is this promise? God, you said you're the door. You said you'd lead me to this good pasture. I, I, don't, I don't feel that right now. But can I tell you that God takes you through these times of starvation, these times of drought, to do something really good inside of you. Because when I starve myself for Thanksgiving and I get to that meal, oh my goodness, it is so much better. It is so much better. And it's the same with Jesus. When he starves us, it, it increases our desire and our want for him so much that when he steps back in with his provision, it doesn't even matter what it is. It could be a piece of toast. He could be the bread of life coming at you. It tastes so good. It tastes so good when Jesus provides for us. Psalm 52:22 says this, Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. And Matthew 6.26 says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Even, even when Jesus teaches us that we should pray and how we are to pray in Matthew 6, he, should, he said we should ask daily for his bread, to ask daily for this bread, these provisions that he provides for us. He isn't, he isn't stingy. He gives us what we need. He doesn't necessarily give us what we want, but he definitely gives us what we need. And the last way Jesus is speaking about himself here is Jesus is plenteous. You guys are looking at that word and you're like, plenteous? Yeah. I didn't know this word existed either. So we're on the same boat here. But Jesus is plenteous. Jesus is plenty. He provides this plentiful life. You can see it in verse 10 when Jesus says, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. This word abundant in Greek is perisios. Perisos? Perisos. That's, I'm like adding letters in there. It's parasos. And this word parasos, you guys, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. The meaning behind this word, and this is what Jesus is promising your life. In your life, this parasos, it's beyond. It's extraordinary, completely, to the full, more. You have advantage and you have no need. How, how many people would love to describe their lives in this way to somebody? Somebody's like, hey man, how's life? You're like, I have no need for anything. I, my life is so full. Jesus has been so faithful. Awesome. Like, they're not going to know how to respond. And somebody else is like, hey man, how, how, how's things going? Dude, I have so much abundance. There, there's absolutely no way to describe my life right now. It is absolutely extraordinary. This is the life that Jesus promises us. And, and yes, Jesus is, is talking about this heavenly promise that we will have this eternal life with him. But Jesus very much is talking about this practical life that we're living today because Jesus doesn't want us to just drone through life and, and have this miserable life to be able to get to heaven. Jesus wants us to enjoy this life today. He wants us to live in abundance today. But it's not an abundance of earthly things. Okay, It's, in, it's an abundance of relationship with him. 
Because in his provision, again, he gives us what we need. He doesn't give us what he want, what we want, right? Because this abundant life does not flow from a new car. This abundant life doesn't flow from a new house. This abundant life doesn't flow from a, a better school for your kids or a, a different position at your job. It doesn't flow from these things. There's no earthly thing that can provide for you an abundant life like Jesus is talking about right here. This abundant life flows from a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is willing and, and, and excited to do something extraordinary in your life. And maybe recently you've, maybe you've lost a loved one and life is really hard right now, or maybe you're struggling with an issue at work and you just don't know what to do, and maybe your kids are moving into the next phase of life and you just don't know how to parent them anymore. Maybe you've been wrapped with fear and anxiety about everything that's been going on in our world right now, and you just need something extraordinary from Jesus today. And you're asking, where, Jesus, where is this abundance? I don't feel it. We're, we're in this pandemic. We're, again, we're wearing masks again. We're, we're, we're going through all this stuff. I, I don't know if I should be vaccinated. There's all these questions. Jesus promises an abundant life. But again, it doesn't stem from the things of this world. It draws you out of the things of this world. So your perspective starts to change. So you can understand that your life and your perspective and your love and your joy and your hope doesn't come from external things. Your love and joy and hope and peace, it comes from something that is already inside of us. It's the door. In conclusion, I, I want to invite the band up here. I love this new song that we sang today. And, and I, was, I was at worship practice this Thursday, and I didn't necessarily know how I was going to conclude my sermon today. I was, that's probably why I had this anxiety. And I was just like, God, I, I don't know what to do. And I, I heard this song, and I'm like, that's it. That, that's exactly that's exactly what God wants me to do when I end this service. Is, is have the, the, we're going to sing this song in, in a minute, but what I want to do is I, I want to read these words to you of this song because these words speak to God as our protector and God as our provider and God as this plentiful God that will provide this abundance of life. I'll ask that the, the lights are dimmed. I want you guys to really focus on the words today. I, I don't want them on the screen. I, I just want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to, if you need to close your eyes, whatever you need to do, I want you to find a place that's just you and Jesus today. And I want these words to speak to your heart and I want these words, in, in light of what we've learned today, I want these words to speak to you. So here we go. This is a song for the valleys, for the harder days. Something to remind me when I've lost my way. And even though it's dark right now, I know morning comes. Because you're the God of the promise. And what you say is done. And in the battle, when I'm surrounded, still my soul will hold to all you've said. You're my refuge. You're my strength. My eyes and amen. Put my trust in your day, in your name, because you have never failed me yet. You're the breaker of chains, defeated the grave. All my hope is in your name because you have never failed me yet. This is a prayer for the desert when the road seems long, waiting for the promise that is yet to come. And even in the wilderness, you will lead me home. Jesus, you are with me. You're my only hope. And in my failure, 
and through my weakness, still my soul will hold to all you've said. If you're not in it, I don't want it. If you said it, I believe it. Where you call me, I will follow because you have never failed me yet. We guys join us in worship. If you're not in it, I don't want it. If you said it, I believe it. Where you call me, I will follow. You never fail me yet. You're not in it, I don't want it. If you said it, I believe it. When you call me, I will follow. Cause you never fail me yet. You're not in it, I don't want it. If you said it, I believe it. When you call me, I will follow. Cause you never fail me yet. You never fail me yet. You Trust in your name, cause you never fail me yet. You're the breaking of chains, you defeated the grave. All my hope in your name, cause you never fail me yet. You're my refuge and strength, my yes, amen. Put my trust in your name you never fail me yet. you're the breaker of chains you defeated the grave all my hope in your name is you never fail me yet. oh Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.